Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Today we're speaking with Richard Blagrove about how much strength and conditioning runners actually have to do. We're answering the question. It's a big question. It's massive. <laughs> but it's not actually. It's actually, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's clarity itself. He's clarity himself. And I think the biggest takeaway for anyone listening will be that it's really not that daunting. Yes, what agreed. What he says. Agreed. Like, uh, everyone sort of hears, oh, I've got to be doing this and I've got to be doing this. And then like he, you know, and he uses, you know, he suddenly goes like bilateral and plyometrics. And, you know, the, yeah, if yeah. you're not up on your terminology, you might be a bit like, oh, my God, what the hell am I talking <laughs> about? But thankfully, he's very good at explaining exactly what he means and the simplicity of it all. And, yeah, yeah. And like, and we get, we dive in a little bit into your newfound love and routine in the Yeah, gym. yeah. Some bonus content there for, um, for <laughs> real fans. Um yeah, I think what I like about Richard Blagrove, so he, he works at Loughborough, so he's like, he's a man about, at strength and conditioning. He knows, like, yeah. you know, very, very qualified. But he also has an appreciation for runners don't have endless time for this stuff. So yeah, actually, yeah. like, let's do, let's do something twice a week that has, like, science-backed benefits that you can probably complete in, let's say, 40 minutes. But on the flip of that, he also brings in a whole suggestion of, like... Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. If you've only got, like, five, ten minutes every day... yeah. Equally as good, and here's a way of, of doing some... Mi- do- sort of microdosing. Microdosing your strength and conditioning. Yeah, so yeah. there's literally no excuses now. He delivers two different approaches which will yeah. both benefit all your running. So hopefully anyone listening who doesn't do any strength and conditioning, and I include myself. <laughs> but not for long. Not for long. I do a bit, but not enough. And uh, this really will, hopefully, it certainly encourages me to go and like do more and be a bit more diligent. Exactly, yeah. Accountable. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what um, any of the listeners think about this. So if, if you've got any strength conditioning tips, perhaps sort of exercises not mentioned, mm. or just give us a little history of what you've been up to, yes. let us know. Uh, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. That's the one. Hey, look, should we bring on our guest of the week? Let's do it. Let's do it. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio. This week, we're talking about strength and conditioning, and we're here with a bona fide expert on the subject. It's Richard Blagrove. So, Richard, thanks very much for coming on the Runners World podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for the invitation to uh, to come and speak. No, it's great. Could you give um Could you give us a quick sense of your um, experience and background in this area? Yeah, sure. So, um, at the moment, I'm a senior lecturer in physiology um, at Loughborough University. I'm also the program leader for the masters in strength and conditioning, um, and 
Yeah, I've been working in academia or universities now for about 15 years, but alongside all my kind of academic and research responsibilities, I've very much been a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and so, yeah, going back 15 years or so, I started working quite a lot with middle and long distance runners um, down at St. Mary's University, which is quite close to, uh, to Teddington and Twickenham. Um, and a lot of your listeners probably will know that's where Park Run started. So um, at, at, uh, at Bushy Park. So yeah, the running community around there is very, very vibrant. Um, so I was working with a lot of runners in that community and I guess kind of unintentionally specialised a little bit in strength and conditioning support for um, for, for those types of athletes. And yeah, I've just, um, I've been coaching alongside all my kind of academic responsibilities ever since then, really. Right, let's get down to the brass tacks. <laughs> How many times a week? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. We want, we want answers. How many times a week should runners be doing strength and conditioning work? Yeah, so, I mean, with my kind of research and scientific hat on, like the majority of studies that have investigated the use of strength training with, with runners tend to find benefits at twice a week. Um, some of the studies use three times a week, but in, in my experience as a strength and conditioning coach working with runners, like three is probably quite a lot, particularly for, for more recreational runners that have got busy lifestyles and so on. So if runners can aim to be hitting two strength and conditioning sessions a week, they probably are going to get some really meaningful benefits, particularly after a few months of engaging with that sort of work. Um, I guess an alternative design, particularly for those that do have very busy lifestyles and they've got a job and a family and are struggling even to fit in their running training, there is a kind of alternative design that hasn't got as much research evidence associated with it, but one I've used quite a lot with, with runners over the last five years. And that's kind of splitting S&C up into what I would term sort of training units or little kind of microdose training sessions, which only last 10 to 15 minutes. And those are sometimes a little bit more manageable for runners to organize around their own running training as part of warm-ups or straight after a run, um, often in the comfort of their own home as well. So yeah, doing something small every day would be an alternative. Yeah, let's get to, let's get into that because that sounds good. Um, so that's a daily thing. So that's sort of like a, a daily minute, a daily 15, 10, 15 minute little strength workout. What, how does that, what does that look like? So it could it could be something different every day, um, and so there's there's a training technique called plyometrics, which I imagine a lot of listeners would have would have heard of before, which is essentially jumping, hopping, skipping type exercises, and we know that those exercises are really good for developing reactive strength, um, and also good for for uh, for bone health as well, and. Runners could do sort of 50 foot contacts or 50 repetitions of different plyometric exercises as part of a warm-up, and that prepares you quite nicely for a run. Um, on a different day, you could do some body weight strength strength work, so for example, some single leg glute bridges, um, maybe some step-ups, maybe some calf raises. If those are fatiguing, you could um, runners could put those after a run, um, which might only take 15, 20 minutes at a time. Um, on another day, they could do a sort of trunk or kind of core stability type session. And so the, these little kind of microdose units through the week, they don't always have to look exactly the same because it would obviously get boring doing it five or six days a week. Um, but they could look a little bit different, but you, you end up covering off all the main sort of training activities and bases that you would put within the sort of two strength and conditioning sessions a week if you were to organize it like that. And it's, you can, and it's quite nice to break down, I guess, as you did there, you've got sort of lower limb, core you could do upper body like you, you can you could almost break each 
chunk each day into sort of like an area of body, right? Like that's quite a good way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And if a runner's been out and done like quite a hard tempo type effort or some sort of interval training, they probably don't feel like doing single leg squats or glute bridges or whatever. So, so doing 10 minutes of more upper body and trunk base work would make sense on a day like that. Whereas if they're going out for a more easy run, like incorporating some of the plyometric exercises or the lower limb strength work on one of those days would probably make a bit more sense. So I think, Richard, that we um, we did a piece that was inspired by some of the some of the stuff you talked about in terms of S&C on the Runners World website. People can check it out if they want. Um, and it, t- it talks about, I think, six or seven, we badged it like the kind of six or seven exercises, mainly gym-based, I think, that runners actually need to do. Because I think a lot of runners can go to the gym and feel a little bit overwhelmed by what they see. Can can we can we break it down to six or seven? And and if so, what would they look like? What would they be? Yeah, thanks thanks for including some of our work on the website first of all. Um, so yeah, like I tried to keep session design and the types of exercises that that runners do within a gym based setting as simple as I possibly can. Um, like the research will tell us again that we need somewhere between about seven and 12 sets of lower limb work within a session to get some meaningful benefit. And so within those seven to 12 sets, I would try to pick maybe three exercises from more experienced runner. It might be four. Um, the first exercise ought to be something bilateral. So something like um, a back squat, something like a Romanian deadlift, which is a, a hip hinge exercise or a deadlift from the ground. Um, and then I would usually pick two unilateral or kind of single uh, single leg exercises. So something that looks a bit like a lunge, like a, a split squat or a, a reverse lunge or a lunge in place. And then something that resembles kind of like a step up. So starting off with like a dead leg step up and then moving on to a barbell step up and then ultimately like a single leg squat. So if runners can do sort of three to four sets of each of those three or four exercises that will accumulate to the sort of seven to 12 sets of work for the lower limb that we're we're after. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I love how simple that is because I feel like Ben and I actually, in running terms, are quite interested in SNC, I think. But even with our kind of uh, knowledge that we've accumulated, I think it was really refreshing to hear from you. Like, actually, I can can break this down to sort of six or seven exercises that I need to do twice a week. And I'm going to get most of the the benefits that I need. In terms of like the, like, upper body work how much yeah what would you say that needs to look like yeah so run- runners probably do need some upper body work obviously they don't need loads uh because of the nature of the sport and the kind of biomechanics associated with running gait but um like i'll tend to prescribe like a pull and a push um upper body exercise for runners so a push exercise i guess the most simple version would be like a press up um for those that are fairly new to strength training um, or you alternatively you can do like an overhead press with a barbell or a dumbbell and then pull exercises again the most simple one is probably like an inverted row which is hanging from a bar and you pull your chest towards the bar sometimes you see people do those with like a trx or other kind of suspension type system um, and alternatives could be like a single arm dumbbell row um, or a bent over row with um, uh, with a barbell and so, yeah, you, you've got quite a nice balance there between an, an upper body push and pull exercise, which might be five or six sets of work. Yeah, I think that this is because we always talk about strength and conditioning, but I kind of think that the strength bit is the bit that people look at and the conditioning, the second word gets kind of lost in the mix. Yeah. And I always think that the upper body, the upper body is 
very much the conditioning side because obviously when we talk about running you don't think you're going to be using the upper body particularly but that's you need to be stable right like the stability in the upper body and the and the, the spine needs to be robust because otherwise you're gonna you're gonna twist and turn too much and and there's all those sorts of then you've got forces coming into play which affect your gait cycle so i guess that's where it's it's important for runners to not neglect the upper body stuff yeah, absolutely. For all, all those reasons that you've just suggested, that if we're changing the way in which we're producing force against the ground, which is using the lower limb muscles, we obviously need to counteract some of the additional rotations and stability demands which have been placed on the upper body. Um, and you'd be surprised how much you kind of utilize your body, particularly if we're running up a very steep hill. Like it's probably a little bit more important for middle distance runners who have to sprint quite regularly as part of interval training sessions and then and then within races. And any sort of competitive runners that are engaged with with sprint finishes at the end of races or kind of mid-race surges, like you're going to start to utilise the full body and and, and the upper limb as well as part of those sorts of efforts. Rich, can we talk a little bit about um, traditional core exercises? Because I I think you might be slightly more suspicious about this (laughs) than some people. A lot lot of runners are going to think, so I'm, got, I'm going to the gym and I've got to lift all these things and then I've got to do loads of core as well. I've got to get myself on the stability ball. I've got to be doing the plank the whole time. Nine hours of planks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, can, and it can get overwhelming and actually, um, but my understanding of, of your approach is maybe actually some of some of the exercises you've already described that you might do in the gym, i.e. a step up or a squat, they're actually working the core in a way that maybe allows you not to have to do so much of that traditional core work. Is that right? And could you explain your philosophy on that? Yeah, you, you've summarised it really nicely there. Actually, that like certainly the trunk and the core are, are an important sort of group or set of muscles that we need to be conditioning. So it does need to be in there somewhere in a strength and conditioning program. But I, I guess my problem would would lie with any kind of runners or athletes that like core stability type exercises are the the whole S and C program, and they're maybe doing it three, four, five times a week, and there's no sort of proper strength training in there. And so I'd very much see, yeah, sort of traditional core stability exercises as supplementary that you might have one or two towards the end of a program for particularly lateral muscles and some of the anterior sort of six pack type muscles that we might not have directly hit as part of strength training sessions. But as you say, the the majority of muscles around the trunk get a really, really good conditioning sort of activation stimulus from some of the exercises that we've mentioned already, so for the lower limb and, and the trunk. So if, if runners left those out, it probably wouldn't be the end, end of the world. But if they want to include one or two, it's it's probably going to be a little bit beneficial. Is there any way that like a runner at home or just could is able to assess their core? As in, would they be able to identify, is there a sort of a key things that you look for so that someone can judge how engaged or how strong their core actually is. Because I, I wouldn't really genuinely know for myself. I can kind of think like, well, I think I'm pretty stable. But like if I went and someone demanded that I did an exercise, which was to clarify how good it was, I, I wouldn't have a, a clue. So is there sort of like a, you know, if you can do X, Y and Z or, or, or just generally like how you position your body? Is there like an indicator of a good core? Um I mean, with my with my scientific how, and the answer would be probably no. Right, good. <laughs> because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the kind of core musculature has never been defined particularly well. Um, like people kind of say, oh, it's the muscles that are 
stabilizing the spine, but those go all the way from the neck all the way down to the knee if you include the hamstrings as well. So it's almost all, all the muscles within you, within yeah. your entire body. <laughs> but, I mean, there are sort of indirect ways that like certainly S&C coaches and some even national governing bodies have advocated over the years to try to sort of, yeah, in, indirectly assess people's trunk control and stability. I mean, particularly at GB rowing. So like rowers obviously get a lot of lower back pain. So they've they've worked quite hard to try and develop some, I guess, core stability tests. And I've used those with runners a little bit. So um, yeah, positions like, I'll try and describe this um, on a podcast. So <laughs> yeah. if um, there's like a side hold position. So if you... If, if you lie kind of sideways across like a bench or a chair and you get somebody to anchor down your lower body, so your kind of upper body is like hanging off the chair, if that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, but you, you're on your side. Yeah. Um, and then if you take your arm off the ground, so you literally just kind of sus- suspended your upper body in the air, you've then got to hold that position for as long as you can. Um, and if, yeah, if runners can get somewhere around two minutes on that, They've got pretty good capacity around the trunk. And then you can obviously do that same position with somebody anchoring down your lower body um, on your front and then also on your back. So that would evaluate sort of back extensor capacity and then you kind of abdominal capacity. And I mean, they're okay, those sorts of tests to get a bit of an impression of of what you're, you're kind of asking um, around people's capacity in those different muscle groups. But I mean, there's no suggestion that you, the duration you can hold those positions is predictive of injury or performance in runners, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I think I could get injured <laughs> trying that one, Richard, actually. I think there'd be an injury risk in me even attempting that at Corfu. Um, I want to talk about load, because I think, again, this is this is an area where there's probably quite a lot of conflicting literature and runners are like i don't want to be i don't want to be a big bulky um person so presumably i don't need to lift heavy and then at all we have to lift heavy um where where do you uh sort of come to on that in terms of like i guess we're talking about in terms of reps aren't we really ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, so to... To answer the first part of your question, there's there's very, very little evidence to suggest that 
if runners engage with two or three sessions of strength and conditioning a week, at least for a few months, they're going to put on any sort of muscle mass at all. Like the, the volume of work that we've kind of described so far, so doing maybe three or four lower, lower body exercises, two or three sets of each, so we're doing seven to 12 sets per session, you do that twice a week, that's not going to be sufficient volume to put on any kind of meaningful muscle mass, particularly when you've got all the running training alongside it. And so there seems to be very, very little risk, and it's, it's a little bit of a myth that, that uh, runners are get, going to get big and bulky by engaging with heavy resistance training. Um, but yeah, to come back to the question of intensity, like it's important that if, we're, if we want to get stronger, um, we are trying to move some sort of load and just the basic principle of progressive overload, like we're trying to stress the neuromuscular system in order to, in order to acquire more strength. Um, and so, so for runners that have never engaged with strength training before, they can probably achieve that just with bodyweight exercises, at least for the first few weeks, particularly on uh, when they're doing this, the single leg work. But then quite quickly, they're going to start to adapt and then performance is going to plateau and they're going to start to find the exercises quite easy. So they're going to have to overload it initially, maybe just with medicine balls or resistance bands. But then it's probably sensible to start moving on to working with dumbbells and barbells because we can load the sorts of exercises that we've mentioned a little bit more easily and safely. Uh, using those sorts of equipment and you talked about heavy resistance there so what in terms of weight that you've and starting off with body weight because we've had discussions on here before that actually sort of heavy lifting heavy sort of lower rep stuff um which is predominantly i guess utilized more by sprinters but certainly can help all runners with their conditioning because we're doing a lot of endurance and a lot of uh, cardiovascular work which sort of high weight I mean low weight high repetition is kind of same sort of area whereas running doesn't have any of that big sort of power stuff to it so is, is that is that important too yeah and I, I, I think those those messages that you've just mentioned are, are certainly appropriate that we're like relatively speaking we're looking to move like quite heavy loads through fairly low repetition ranges but when I refer to low repetition ranges, I mean anything less than about 12 repetitions. Um, and, and again, particularly for novices, so those that are just starting out strength training and um, and haven't done much of this, this sort of work before, they probably can go as high as 12 repetitions and maybe even 15. And as long as they're working hard and at the end of the set, they couldn't do very many more repetitions with the weight that they're using they're probably going to get the same sort of strength adaptations than working at very, very low reps. So like just two, three, four repetitions at a time. And I mean, that that evidence is actually quite new. It's only really been the last five years that even just the strength and conditioning industry generally has started to move to that line of thinking. Um, and that, that would be the same for older individuals and, and young athletes that, that are new to, to strength training in any, in any sort of sport. But then as we get more experience, like we definitely need to, to add a little bit of load and intensity to the exercise. And so it's it's more sensible to bring that repetition range down towards, yeah, the three, four, five repetitions per set um, rather than go any higher. And so, yeah, when I, when I say sort of heavy load, I mean anything between about three reps and, and 12 reps for most runners. We don't want to scare people off by saying, yeah, you do three reps and you've got to go really, really heavy for three <laughs> you've reps. Got to do, you've got to PB every single lift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, go, going a little bit higher is is completely fine for a novice. If, any, if anyone's listened to this, Richard, and says, oh, that, that all feels like quite a lot of work. What's the um, what's the carrot in terms of strength and conditioning? What, why, is it, why is it worth runners properly engaging with this stuff, do you think? 
Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, two, it's two main things, which I think you guys will certainly be aware of, and probably the listeners as well, that like, like most of the research has been directed at the use of strength training for performance outcomes. And we've got fairly good evidence that engaging with strength training a couple of times a week for at least three months is going to improve running economy. And our running economy is how much energy that we're using at a sub-maximal intensity. And so for 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon, like the better that we can get our economy, the less energy that we're using to run, the better. And so it seems that strength training mainly has effects or like mechanistically has effects on economy, which then improve performance. Um, we also know improved sprint speed. And as I mentioned before, with competitive runners and middle distance runners, that is that is really important. And then the second area is is based around um, trying to reduce the risk of injury. And scientifically, I, we've got a little bit less evidence for that, which is, I, I guess, probably surprising for, for some runners. But it, it certainly makes sense that like tissues within the body that tend to get injured in runners, so like tendons and muscles and ligaments, they obviously have a certain tolerance to repeated stress. Um, so therefore, if we can raise that tolerance by making the tissue stronger, um, essentially the body and those tissues can can hopefully cope with higher volumes of, of running. Um, so that's kind of the theory. And we have got some evidence to suggest that might be the case. So it would it would make sense to be engaging with strength training so we can yeah increase the volume of running and we've got less likelihood of getting injured. Um there's probably a third area, which I'll just mention briefly, which is much more global area, that certainly um, as we age, so as we get into our late 30s and 40s and 50s, the, the kind of running stuff aside, we know that we'll lose muscle mass and bone mass and connective tissue starts to, to degenerate. So there's definitely benefits to engaging with, with strength training just from a general health perspective, aside from the running. Some big wins there as well. Some quite easy wins, I think, that people can can go. I need to go to the gym. This has made me want to go, so that's good. Well, I've started. I've started going, and, and do, basically, based on what Richard said, I'm, I'm sort of. I'm doing six or yeah, six or seven. What are you doing? Um, yeah, exercises in the gym. Oh, right, yeah. So, Richard, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's see. If, let's see if this is gold standard. But I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm all kind of like. Let's say the rep range is. Let's say I'm doing eight reps. Yeah. Let's just say that average. So I'm doing calf raises, um, weighted on on the kind of you know that kind of barbell that's fixed in place on the Smith, uh, Smith machine, yeah, the Smith machine. Um, and then I'm doing a uh, a deadlift. I think it's called a trap deadlift. Trap on, on oh, yeah. yeah. When you kind of stood in the, in the middle of it, um, doing a, a a back squat. Um, then I'm doing a reverse lunge because I've been told reverse lunges are potentially a little bit nicer on the knee, which has been an issue for me. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, I do a bench press and chin-ups. So that kind of push-pull for the upper body. Um, and then for a gold star, I, I, I do um, uh, what are they called? Step-ups as well. But that's, yeah, with a barbell, but no weights on them. And then um, gold star doing some... Uh, core. Oh, what are they called? Dead bugs. Yes. For a, bit, for a little, for a little bit of core. That doesn't sound, that doesn't, that doesn't sound far off at all, a, a gold standard. It's... That sounds like a really well-rounded, yeah, nicely balanced program, and yeah, that sounds, that sounds spot on. I, I can do it all on. I can do it all in forty-five minutes. Do it twice a week, and and it's actually it's it's for me. It's taking the stress out of strength and conditioning for me because I'm like I do think I do it twice a week. I know what I'm doing, um, and I'm feeling the benefits in a way that when I was just trying to fit stuff in, I was probably doing more in some ways, but just much less benefit and just kind of feeling a bit kind of overwhelmed by the strength and conditioning part of training yeah 
it sounds like you've got a, a really nice balance and, and volume within that program that as, as you say there's six or seven exercises you've got a couple of bilateral ones the squat and the trap bar deadlift um you've got the single leg exercise the reverse lunge and the step up so yeah that's essentially what i described um before and then you've got the, the bench press is a really good exercise and particularly if you've if you've been doing press-ups a while and you're sort of hitting 15 repetitions comfortably, like you obviously need to load the exercise and doing a bench press is, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a nice progression from that. So that makes complete sense. And you say, you say pull-ups as well? Do some pull-ups, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely great. Yeah, I mean, the calf raises we haven't really spoken about much, but um, the calf and Achilles is obviously, I think it tends to be the, the, the area of, of the lower body that's um like the second most common injury with runners and because at the exercises that that uh that you mentioned before so yeah that's the deadlift and the squat and the lunges like they don't really um overload the um the calf and the achilles very much and so for most runners that i work with they'll, they'll tend to do one or two calf achilles type exercises so yeah having that loaded on a smith machine makes complete sense and then then you've got the trunk exercise as well oh i smashed it there you go. Like, all all I need to do now is get better, get, get better at running. But the S and C is not holding me back no, anymore. Like a, like a great, yeah, great case study. Well done, Rick. Work, great working example for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how much you're lifting? I want to know. Those are the big numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a funny aside, but um, one of the new columnists at Run as Well is called Sophie Rayworth, who's um, a very good runner and also like BBC broadcaster, and um, she's got into lifting heavy weights as well. Um, and we're we're in a deadlift competition, but she's re- she's really strong, and I'm currently losing. So I don't want to give away the um the the exact uh, the exact weights, but yeah, it's uh I'm 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 currently losing that one. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're on the path to success, mate. So that's well done, Richard. Thanks so much for um for your time coming on the podcast and speaking. Yeah, with such clarity about um an area that I think can be quite confusing for runners. So I hope everyone who's listened to it is going to get something out of it. So thanks for your time. Yeah, no problem at all. I really enjoyed it. So that brings us to the end of this week's Run As Well podcast. A huge thanks to our special guest, Richard Blaygrove, and to you, of course, for lifting. No, I mean listening. Oh, God, right, right at the end. You had to listen all the way to the end, but then you get the gold. You get the real gold. Um, you can subscribe to Three Issues of Run As Well for just £5. Head to uh, runaswell.com slash UK slash podcast offer to get this exclusive listener offer. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, make sure that you share it with all your running friends because they'll probably like it too. And they need to do strength and conditioning because they probably don't do that. Um, thank you for listening. You will hear from us next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.